hear from Deshaun Watson throughout this entire process. Let's just say it, it, it's being chronicled, okay? I've spoken to David Coley, and I think we all know what his position is. Hey, you know, for right now, his stance to other teams has been, I, I'm willing to talk about anybody. I'm not willing to talk about trading Deshaun Watson. Or uh, that, that David Coley did say, he's our quarterback right now. And I think that's significant, too, you know, because even if that's a little bit of a slip, that means he's at least thought about or maybe talked about internally um, with Nick and other people in the building. Uh, the like, Texans ends up trading McKinney to the Miami Dolphins in exchange for Shaq Lawson. that the Chargers' former quarterback, Tyra Taylor, has reached a one-year deal with the Texans, up to $12.5 million Today's Texans star quarterback, Deshaun Watson, now facing some serious allegations. Watson oh. is already firing back, saying the allegations aren't true and that he looks forward to clearing his name. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast, talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles. There's perhaps never been a more eventful week in recent Texan history. Off-field allegations, a flurry of free agent signings, and of course, some trades to boot. I'm joined this week by Sports Illustrated's Anthony Wood. Anthony, how you doing? I'm great, thanks. It's been a busy week, like you said. So it's been exhausting, but exciting. How about you? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. It's, uh, yeah, I, I can't really remember a time that it's been quite as much. I think even just, as you said, just before we, we hit record there, you've got Zach Fulton being released, which I mean, we all saw coming. Um, the team have just officially announced that. Um, and then also the, this this lawyer, um, Mr. Busby, has, uh, has put another Instagram post out here saying that there's, there is a second... Uh, civil court uh, proceeding being filed against Watson, which will be one of four women. Yes. So it's it's all happening. Yes, it's it's. I mean, that certainly is something that nobody saw coming. I don't think any of the players, any media members, nobody saw that coming. Um. So it's yeah, it's going to be two two big time lawyers as well, Busby and and uh, Rusty Harden, who will be defending Watson. So it's going to be a. I think Sean Pendergast compared it to WrestleMania main event in Houston. I mean, it's going to be a, a big case and it's going to be um, something to keep a close eye on because this will obviously not only affect Watson's career possibly, but also the Trey Valley for the Texans and uh, yeah, who knows what the wider ramifications could be. It's, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, you got it. I know that he's a bit of a questionable character. I had a, a number of texts of various uh, yes. fables about, about them. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I, my first reaction was, uh, how is how is the serving a client by putting crass Instagram posts out? Yeah, about yeah, long winded stories about his mother's integrity had more in her finger than these types of people. Then I I don't know. I think it's it's a strange, it's just it, it's very odd. But I suppose everything that's been about this team has been odd, and I think this is just perhaps the next. The next chapter of the of the peculiarity of of Texans football, but it's, it just seems to be one thing after another, and I and I don't think it'll ever be about the football again for a long time. But it's just this, the feeling of it, just a general circus. No, it, it is definitely a bit of a circus, and this certainly wasn't anything. You know, no one saw this coming, and this is these allegations are particularly surprising, simply because they are so 
polar opposite of anything anyone has ever seen of Watson that we know about, friends, family, players, media, and so on. No one has ever heard anything bad about Watson, if we're being perfectly honest. You know, he's very active in the community. He's very supportive of all his teammates. No one's got anything bad to say about him. So this coming out of the blue was a real shock for, for everyone yesterday. So it's going to be worth keeping a close eye on. Like you said, it, Busby has an interesting record. Let's put it like that. Um, some of the stories that have come out about him look back to when Johnny Mazouk was coming out the draft a few years back, um, and he was putting up billboards around Houston trying to get the Texans to draft him. It was he, He's an interesting character. Um, so, yeah, we honestly have no way, which no idea which way this is going to go at this point in time. It, it's incredibly counterintuitive because, again, this does not fall in line at all with anything we know about Watson from the past. Um, but that being said, I, th- I know the Texans have been very careful with what they said today, basically saying we're going to gather all the facts and, and um, these are very serious allegations. We'll, we'll step back for now and just see what happens. Yeah, I, I, I saw the quote and I, I, th- I thought they said well, it's the first I've heard of it via social media. And you think, well... I'm sure Watson's camp lawyers, etc. I've seen he's hired us or another kind of infamous Houston lawyer today. But I thought that quote showed a bit of disconnect there, perhaps in terms of he's he's obviously not on speaking terms with the team, which we, we I suppose we knew that. But the yeah. fact that he's not even given them a heads up on something like this is is suggest or give perhaps an insight into where the relationship is at this stage. The I I think it's. The, that was potentially an opportunity to say we've spoken to our quarterback, you know, and defend them in a public, you know, that was, you know, some potentially an avenue to get back and and make some goodwill there, which it didn't seem like they did. It was as if they sort of distanced themselves from it. We take it seriously. We're investigating it. But I think in this instance, with the issues that, you know, that lay present for us, you know, for Watson's camp, this was maybe an opportunity again, to try and you know abridge some of that, but obviously they just completely once again failed to to probably have a bit of a bit of awareness. They have, and it's it's bizarre that they didn't. I mean, to, that we know at least that they didn't reach out more, and like you said, use this as sort of a, an opportunity to speak to him a bit more um, and figure out exactly what's going on. But what's particularly bizarre about this? I mean, these allegations, as far as I'm aware, from his latest because he tweeted again earlier. Um, the the lawyer he said that this stems from over a year ago or a year ago. So you'd have to imagine that if if these are indeed true, somebody must have known about these, whether it was the team or otherwise. So it's it's just this story is getting murkier and murkier and more confusing by the hour. So it's going to be really interesting to keep an eye on over the next few weeks because there's just no way of knowing which direction this is going to go in. But one thing I will say is, like you mentioned, the fact that this all came to light via social media in of itself is a very bizarre way to begin this. Usually when these sorts of cases come about, um, in the past, it will be releases here and there. You know, you'll hear rumors about something about this going on, and then there'll be a police report. There'll be something like that released officially. So, doing so via social media in a, in the way that he did, it, this was bizarre from the get go. So, we have no idea what direction this is going to go in because this lawyer himself seems very um, questioned. I guess you could say as well. That being said, we, we need to know all of the facts before we anyone can really make any judgments on this. Yeah, and I think if you look back at that, the uh, the, the ex Baylor guy, uh, was it Sean Oakman, who was going to be a top five pick in the draft, basically loses everything over allegations. Subsequently, years later, so that was twenty sixteen draft, he was going to come out of Baylor. Um, 
and it's it's proven in, in 2019 the court and then again recently that um that there were false allegations and he you know there was no case to answer for he was an innocent man he you know and i think that ruined his career and it's the it's this is the hardest sort of topic to to um to you know to perhaps judge and why it's so controversial um yes it's, it's probably in vogue at the minute but there's just i suppose there's a there's a there's always a suspicion could it be a, a shakedown because it's you know and that's what watson's first statement said was it was looking for a yes he did for a settlement so uh, i don't know it's one of these things and uh, I, I suppose it, it's it's very odd and, and an even on a completely unprecedented situation where you're at a standstill with uh, with your franchise quarterback when it seemed like he was the only thing good thing you had going, but it just adds to the mix of strange, strange things going around this team and uh, very, very odd. And we'll hope it clears itself up. But yeah, I think the longer term ramifications, Anthony, and that's something we probably need to face into is... It, uh, the, I mean, the, the, I mean, there is a there is a reality, I suppose, if there is four and this is to be considered. Not that I think, you know, knowing the cat, the character, it, it's it's a possibility. But you know, the, there's there's rules there for players being suspended for detriment to the league and and con, you know conduct detriment to the league or whatever you know whatever the phraseology is in the CBA. So, you know, this one could run in the, in the league often, then runs its independent yes. investigation as well, and then it could come out to. Any any conclusion, regardless of what's been in court, we've seen that double standard. So I think this this is probably something nobody needed, um, but it's definitely no. a, another another element um, in in a multitude of of points that don't make any sense for anyone, at least of all when in Houston Texas football a number four in the field. Yeah, absolutely, and, and something worth keeping in mind. And John McLean talked about this earlier. This is going to go on for some time. I mean, look at Antonio Brown. His suit went on for about a year. This isn't something that's going to go away anytime soon. Like you said, there's going to be further investigations as well with the league, and I'm sure the team will do their own work as well. So this is something that's going to drag on for a good few months, if not longer. So uh, we're in for the long haul here. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. I suppose it's almost... I feel at times that you, it's hard to discuss football, and I suppose it was probably the most busiest or the busiest couple of days with... <laughs> With we'll come on to the free agent signings um in a bit. Oh, in fact, no, I think the Tyrod Taylor one I think in isolation, and we'll come back to the rest. But Tyrod Taylor, yes, was signed when I first saw the money. I thought, oh shit, here we go. And this was all <laughs> before, 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 um, before these allegations. Um, it's it's now comes to light, obviously that that it's a five and a half million guarantee or five and a half million yes. up front and and twelve and a half in escalations and. Etc. Um, and, and performance related pay, but um, yeah, I suppose if you take the move in isolation, you, there probably isn't a better backup quarterback slash insurance policy that they probably could have signed. No, and if you looked at the other free agency options, I mean, I remember looking at free agents beforehand. You had, you know, maybe Ryan Fitzpatrick, Andy Dalton were other guys that came up. AJ McCarron, obviously coming off heading into free agency, was another one we looked at. None of them really give you a there's pros and cons to each, but I would say that Tyrod Taylor, for me at least, fills me with slightly more confidence than the rest. Reason being, he's obviously slightly younger. He's still only 31. He fits in the system quite nicely. He's a similar style, at least, of quarterback to Watson in that he is very athletic. He can run, and he's proven. He's he's proven he can win in the NFL. I mean, he was a pro bowler in 2015. 
He had one of his best seasons with the Bills in 2017 under David Culley as well in Buffalo. So that's something worth keeping in mind. Not to mention that he did work with Pep Hamilton last year as well in LA. So theoretically, the guys, those guys should know how to work with him and get the best out of him. And the deal sort of highlights, it's a very good example of the mantra that they, that uh, Nick Casario is going for, which is low risk, high reward guys. I mean, yes, they could have gotten someone like AJ McCarron for less. He was on, I think, $4 million last year. It probably would have been around the same this year. But at the end of the day, you feel a lot more confident with Tyrod Taylor at QB than AJ McCarron should Deshaun not play for Houston in 2021, which, it's let's be honest, it's looking that way. So I think he's a better fit for the for Tim Kelly's system. I think he's a better fit for, the, for David Culley's than a lot of the other options out there. Um, he's, by all accounts, very well respected. Teammates like him. He adapts very quickly. So... It's a relatively low risk and relatively high reward deal, which I think is, like I said, it's across the board. You look at all the deals, they're all short term, one or two year deals with relatively low guarantees and not particularly high maximum values either. So I think it's a good deal for Houston. It gives them a a solid plan B if anything goes wrong with Watson, if he doesn't play this year for whatever reason that may be. Yeah, and I mean, I suppose there's there's history with David Cully there. Um, I think he averaged about eight yards in a tent in the year that he, he got Buffalo back to the playoffs. Greg Roman was there um, under that sort of system, which has some translation, but there's potentially some sort of running elements they can build in there. So I think, yeah, on its own, I think it's it is a sign in that gives you know gives gives them a number of of layers to fall back on. Yes. You know, Allegations included now um, that that they, they probably needed. You, you touched on the, the Casario's general overall approach um, to to free agency. If all things being equal, we didn't have this kind of sideshow of distractions. Where do you think you know your sort of star players, notably most Watson, would be when they see these sort of moves? Because if you look at you know there was. 12 one-year deals handed out or, t- or 11 one-year deals handed out in that region, um, all low guaranteed money. It's almost as if the pasting copied some of the proposals with the two yes. fifty five hundred up front, $2 million over, <laughs> over, eight, over one year. Um, but beyond sort of Malik Collins, which was obviously the most money they gave to anybody's, um, you know, a value up to $6 million. I don't think there's a huge amount of players there, particularly on the one-year deals, that that you'd necessarily say are going to make this team better. Um, and if you're maybe, you know, and if you're Deshaun or you're, I suppose, tons of maybe falls, there's, there's a handful of players, that, I suppose, that you could that maybe look, you know, that are solely focused on winning. These kind of types of guys are journeymen, you know, a number of number of teams, and, you know, most of them are on a third or fourth team in as many years coming here. So, you know, from, from a Deshaun point of view, all of said all things being equal um the thing about we can't talk about football properly but what do you think their reaction would be to this because it's all it's almost like it's it's their actions were always going to show their hand a bit and where they see that the situation that's evolved and it's been a mess off the field and they've created all this but where do you where do you think the the, the view is of these moves would be if you were a player that was wanting to win particularly like Deshaun because it doesn't sense like this is a year of progress by any stretch of the imagination. I think the best comparison I've seen so far was when Pete Carroll took over in Seattle. They signed a lot of guys on short-term deals and just built up 
ramped up the competition. Now, that's something David Cully spoke about a couple times in his recent press conferences, that competition at every position is absolutely vital. And I think that's what they're really going for here. They're giving a lot of guys very short-term deals, a small amount of time to prove themselves, to prove their long-term worth to the team. And basically just throwing a lot of darts at the board and seeing what hits and what sticks. And I think for a team that is in flux, for a defense that is going to go through a big change this year, obviously with Lovey Smith coming in, changing the scheme somewhat and bringing in that Tampa 2, I mean, it, it's. I think it's a smart move. Does this team necessarily improve drastically because of these moves at this point in time? No. I will say I do like Malik Collins signing a lot. I like Shaq Lawson signing a lot. I do think both of those guys will give them a boost at those positions. Are they game changers? No, I don't think they are at this point point in time. But that being said, they've brought in something that the Texans have not had, particularly last year, which is depth. All of a sudden you look at this and you go, well, you know, who are the three that are going to start at linebacker? Well, you go definitely Cunningham, most likely Kirksey, but then do you look at Gruger Hill? I mean, Thomas, theoretically, he started last year. He could start this year as well. Um, and there's a couple other guys you could throw in the mix there as well. And it's it's nice, first of all, to have that competition because that will bring out the best in guys and that will push them to play better, if nothing else. And again, I think this was something that McLean touched on recently. There were too many guys who were just, they, they were playing just to play. They were sort of, they were comfortable in their positions. They were comfortable in O'Brien's system. They were O'Brien's guys. They weren't going anywhere. Look at the, the Brennan Scarlets, for example. They weren't really going anywhere. They knew their position was safe. Now that isn't the case. Everyone knows they're fighting for their job, and I think that will bring out the best in people. Do I think they will have a winning record this year? No. I, unfortunately, I don't, and I don't think this team is going to improve rapidly. That being said, the best we can hope for from Casario and the best we could have hoped for coming into all of this was that he's able to stabilize the roster and give them a more sturdy platform to build off of because they were crumbling, let's be honest. That roster was was appallingly weak and he has at least given them somewhat of a firmer platform to build off of and something else that I've noticed um, I know Michael Lombardi talked about this the other day on I think it was Pat McAfee's show he talks about how Belichick's mantra ever since the Browns has always been to build from the middle out so focus on the center of the field then add in people like tight ends for example to mix things up and I think it's very similar to what Casario is doing he's already brought in what five linebackers at this point in time Two, uh, three offensive linemen, what three defensive linemen, four defensive linemen, including PJ Hall. He's bulking up in the center of the field on both sides of the ball, and they're going to work their way out from there. And I think it's a good approach to have because if they can just stabilize things, stop the ground from crumbling, and give them something to work off of, and then find out who are the guys that are going to work in the long term. You know, is Kirksey a guy they can rely on in the long term? Is Collins a guy they can work with in the long term? PJ Hall, whoever it may be, are these guys that we can rely on? for the next two to three years, or do we need to be looking elsewhere? It gives them a bit of time, especially with the salary cap. You know, it should go up again within the next couple of years. It gives them time to prepare for a proper upgrade. Yes, I think it's given a, a probably a, a stinging indictment of Casario's assessment of the depth in the roster. Oh, absolutely. The type of, and the type of players. I think that we've obviously seen a number of linebackers, but I think the, the change in the system um, and I think they'll, they'll they'll probably muddle through with Zach Cunningham at will in the four three, um, but I don't think he's necessarily well. Well, time will tell if he can. <laughs> if he can. But I, again, they've committed a lot of money to them. But I think he's you you the big principle certainly that 
them learning learning about a four three switch that you know we've not really seen since the pre Wade Phillip days. Um, yes, Fra- Frank Bush, I think, was the last one to run a four three. Um, that probably goes back to what 2010, uh, 2011 before that that era. So you've got you've you've got to have linebackers that can that can have range, good cover sideline to sideline, offer good depth in zones, and 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 try and clog up the passing lanes. Um, and you've seen that, I think, because with 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 Gruger Hill, um, he's a guy you know they've committed three million or three point two five potential up front. So um, coming over from Philadelphia, he was a a guy that Caseri was familiar with. I think this is probably the guy that certainly is well, or the most money they've given to. I'll be over two years was was Kevin Pierre Lewis, and again, this will be his fourth team in four years. A similar theme. Um, he's been at the Jets, uh, been at Chicago, and lately at, uh, at Washington. But it seemed like he had a good year last year. Kind of, albeit tick the stat box, but there's been seen a number of clips of him. Good speed. He can rush the passer a bit, so he's a bit of a versatile piece. Um, not that we want to go back to that uh, the V word because it certainly was <laughs> was soiled a bit over the years. It's um, almost as bad as tough, the, dependable, the, smart, isn't it? Which is well, that, worse, well, that's it, yeah, or... yeah. <laughs> that's it. You, you, hopefully, we're not going to hear. And they, look, and these are obviously different types of players um, um, that, that they've, they've brought in here. But I, I think it's it it shows you they're they're definitely trying to just as as they said, kind of build a. A platform of guys, and if you, you know, and look, I mean, of these one-year deals, uh, some of these guys probably won't even make the roster. So it's it's really just, as you said, kind of going out and and as he said, meat and potatoes. He's getting just singles and doubles, bringing in guys who might give you something, uh, but committing to them in one way is not going to hamper you down the line. And with you know, you can see from the Eric Murray and Randall Cobb contract that we committed to last year, they're, they're hampering us into this season. So it's been the opposite approach, almost of that, a sensible measured approach, I suppose, and the kind of approach you'd expect from Caserio in the way he comes across as, a, as an individual. And I think, as you said, because of the the league, the league and the players and agents, they don't want, the agents don't want the plastic years tacked on the back with no guaranteed money. Yeah. And the players are happy to wait, take the money earlier in the process because previously, it's you know, I, I don't remember so many, well, there was a team, particularly like ourselves, who signed so many guys on the first day on low contracts, usually those contracts come the second and third wave, whereas there hasn't really been that sort of process this year. I think there's been a total kind of re, uh, redefining of, of the process and actually it's been a free-for-all. I think a lot of players are probably nervous, particularly the guys who are sort of second, third, fourth-rate players, didn't want to leave money on the table, were happy to take deals early rather than waiting out and seeing how their market evolves. And um, and there's there has been some big money gift only really to linemen, uh, the wide receiver market's collapsed um, in the sense that you know teams just aren't willing to pay wide receivers. I think and it's going the same way as the running back because you're just getting so you know just getting a huge production line from college every year now. So you've seen that collapse and that trend continue. But I thought it was interesting just the the flow of it, and it's actually probably suited the Texans in some ways because they could pick up guys early um, and then try and they're going to have to try and work their way back a bit. I've, Andre Roberts, thirty three. I know he's a I know he's been a Pro Bowl punt punt returner, but then there was also uh, Terrence Smith there on the on a one year deal, um, and as well as Chris Moore at wide receiver, ball kind of special team guy. Thought it was interesting. I mean, if you give somebody like Roberts five and a half million, you've got three million guaranteed. He's your punt returner, but just they're looking for options. Um, yeah, in, in the special teams. 
and I think Moore will give them some depth at receiver as well, um, more than more so than Roberts. Roberts is very much a special teamer, but I'm really, to be honest, Moore is probably one of the players I'm more excited about seeing because let's be honest, special teams for the Texans has not been fun to watch for a good few years now. I don't know about you, but I got really tired of watching DeAndre Carter in that in that uh, special teams unit as returner. So when I'm... do you think that was the last the last time they scored from a traditional punt or kick return? That's a um, I can honestly say not in the time that I've been covering them, and I've been covering them for about four years now, so five 20, years. The, I might be wrong in this, and this is just going off pure memory, um, <laughs> but. Obviously, they had the one in the playoffs where Mingo um, knocked it down and Lonnie Johnson ran in in Kansas City. Yes, that's but, true. Um, and there's been there may have been one other in there, but the, an actual just standard a player catching it and running past everyone was Will Fuller's rookie year at home. I think it was week four or five. He caught a punt return and took it back, and so that just shows you how kind of <laughs> non-impactful. Um, special teams exactly and and I mean especially if they're going to be run by you know if, if they're not going to be run by by their starting QB this year if it's going to be Tyrod Taylor and if if they're not going to be able to get another standout wide receiver they need all the help they can get and get in good field position so I really like that signing but more than anything you know this isn't going to be a necessarily an exciting year to watch the Texans aren't going to be a contender necessarily so to have something, even if it is just a crumb of comfort in a an entertaining special teams unit to re- to look forward to, I'll, I'll take that all day. Yeah, uh, Terence Mitchell comes back as well. A guy that at the time in twenty again going back to the twenty sixteen season, he cut him. He ends up on the uh, on getting picked up by the Chiefs, and he ends up playing against him. I think week one, um, if they bring him back. I think he's probably not quite as. Um, you know, I think corner is a tough position to fill because it's year to year. Um, but yeah. he comes back in. I think he offers some zone ability, a bit of a tackler. Um, I guess. Well, the, yeah, I mean that's the good thing about I. I really like the Mitchell signing because for me it's another one of those low risk. I mean, don't get me wrong, he's not a game changer. He absolutely isn't. He, he's not going to be a, you know, a prime Malcolm Butler, a prime Patrick Peterson, whatever you whatever you may be using as your example. But he is going to give them depth and tenacity at that position and that's something i'm excited to see is, is a bit more fight a bit of a bite to them um everything i've heard about him, everything i've read about him has been very positive um i know his his pass rating uh, sorry um pass completion percentage allowed last year was lower than any texans starting db in 2020 so he, he had a good year and if you look at the stats i mean he had i think 13 defended passes last year i mean he had a good year and he had a good standout year in KC a few years back as well. I think it was 2017. So he's capable. Is he going to be a game changer? No. I think Roby will still be their best corner. That being said, he definitely gives them good competition against Vernon Hargreaves, who obviously they've just brought back on a one-year deal. Yeah, and you wonder I saw, I mean, that's the first re-signing that's actually been confirmed by the team. And again, you you got to wonder what, what the what well, the thought process there is, I think, look, he's, he's not an outside corner. He was asked to play outside and showed. I, think. I do think with Vernon Hargis, though, there is a player in there. Like He does show flashes on the old 22 yes. stuff I watched last season, but I think I, I got to a point and I gave up watching it because I couldn't, couldn't braid it anymore. But um, I think I got to about week 14, I think, and I stopped stopped uh, stopped putting out clips on a Monday or Tuesday. But there, there is flashes there of tackling around 
the line of scrimmage, you know, being the, the third or fourth, maybe even fifth corner on a team, I think he can do a role. Um, but I think like a lot of these contracts, we probably won't see the full level of detail because we're only getting the reported level of detail because the Texans have got a lot to do with adjusting the cap. So these signings will come in in dribs of drabs, I would think, in the next couple of days. Just like the signing of Justin McRae for $5.5 million over two years' potential value. Again, reported, Zach Fulton's yep. gone out. So that's now Nick Martin and Zach Fulton gone out. There was obviously a trade as well to bring in 33-year-old um, Cannon from the from uh, New England. So, uh, I, I, again, a reshuffle in the interior of the line. But what do you, what do you make of that? Because it's certainly, you know, you... It- you would think it's the same kind of output or a similar level of output at lower cost this year. Yes, it's it's going to be a similar level, although I do I do think it'll be slightly improved. I mean, Justin Britt, don't get me wrong, he, he's not he's not a Rodney Hudson. He he's not a pro bowler necessarily. You know, he's not going to be a game changer, but he will bring stability. Yes, he had his he had that torn ACL, nasty injury, sat out last year. Everything I've seen, everything I've heard is that he's healthy, he's looking good, and he's raring to go. He's keen to get going. He seems excited to be in Houston, which is great, um, even if he doesn't know who he's going to be blocking for, but he's excited regardless. I, I like the signing. It's another sort of relatively low-risk, high-reward signing, um, only a one-year deal. So again, if injuries hamper him again or if con- the consistency isn't there after a year off, they can just drop him after this year. I mean, this year is a bit of a throwaway year anyway. So I like the signing. I, I'm not... I really wanted Nick Martin to work out. You know, team captain, everyone seemed to love him. I wanted it to work out for him, but the consistency just wasn't there. He had a decent year in 2019, fell back in 2020. It just wasn't there. And he was, you know, at fault multiple times throughout the season. His his run blocking was pretty inconsistent. So it's a shame to see him go, but the deal was far too high for the lack of consistency they were getting. So Justin Britt may not necessarily be the biggest improvement on the position, but far less expensive for someone who can play at the same sort of level. The most likely outcome is that Cannon ends up at, le- at right guard. Given his build, he's not as fast as Titus Howard. And T- Howard really did have a decent year. I mean, yes, there were some mistakes here and there, but I was very, I'm still very optimistic about his future at right tackle. So you've got to move Cannon into right guard. And then McRae is just, he's taken up that sort of Calamete role at, at backup. He can move around if necessary. He gives them a bit of depth. That's really all his job is going to be at this point in time. So it's it's has the line been upgraded? I would say slightly with Cannon coming in. Um, definitely going to be an improvement over Zach Fulton. Fulton is another one like Nick Martin. He was just inconsistent. You'd watch the occasional snap where you go, okay, okay, there's a, there's a player there. And then the next play, he'd be culpable for multiple missed blocks and their lack of any run game. So it, it's it's... Shame it didn't work out for him, but it wasn't it wasn't to be. The Houston Houston needers make some changes on the inside. Left guard is going to be another one to watch. I do think Sharping will start there, and I do think he will do well under James Campen. I'm looking forward to seeing him progress. That being said, um, I don't necessarily think it's guaranteed. Um, it will be interesting to see if they bring in someone else because I don't think Quali's been re-signed. So keep an eye out for another guard to come in. I think I think McCree is the is is Camden's version of of Quail was uh, to Mike Devlin wasn't he because he's followed him a couple of places he was in Green Bay yes. and then he was took him to Cleveland so um, he may be the he may be the the favourite in there so he might get his chance to 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 fill in at left guard if Sharpen doesn't come back so I think yeah it, it hinges on Sharping 
but again, I think with the offense and with and, and similar with the running game is what type of style will they be running? I, I don't, and I think there's so many unknowns, and I think it just goes back to the coaching staff of it was it was pieced together in a way that was perhaps to piece Deshaun, but then you got Pep Hamilton comes in as his uh his t- or his title as offensive or, or oh, pass game passing coordinator yeah so so he so he comes in and you know he yeah again it's a mixture of schemes so what, what will they run and they've kind of got mixed personnel there again but you know um but Brett was kind of run a bit of a zone scheme in in Seattle um and Cannon probably a bit more power in in, in New England so yeah we'll need to kind of see where they where they uh, where they end up with that, but um, I, I, again, going back to another signing, and it feels like a long time ago now, but it was only last week, bringing in uh, Mark Ingram. Yes, um, again, more of a power runner. Uh, but when you brought back David Johnson, who showed really at the end of the season he could only really run zone. Um, so we'll, we'll again, there's just a lot of un, unanswered questions. I think it just boils into all the uncertainty and all the the turnover of personnel. That there's probably more questions than we'll put then. And we'll probably continue to have questions and answers in what's probably a bit of a reset year. That that being said, I'm really optimistic about the Ingram signing. I know there are a lot of people very hesitant, and I completely understand why, given the amount they paid for him. The fact he's 31, he didn't do much last year, completely understand. That being said, he was a Pro Bowler the year before. He was just he was he was he just wasn't a part of Baltimore's scheme last year. He just wasn't a part of that game plan moving forward. So I completely, I'm really looking forward to seeing him play. I got to meet him in London briefly. Really nice guy. Love watching him play. And I think in theory, that sort of power back style, that's something they tried to do with David Johnson and Duke Johnson that just didn't work. In theory, he should fit quite nicely. If Tim Kelly is looking for that same kind of back again, he should be the kind of back they're looking for. So I'm really looking forward to seeing if they can get the best out of him because I think he's still got enough juice left. I really do. The Yeah, the, the, there's a there's a lot to kind of be answered in, in, in terms of, in terms of the scheme. Um, but the reason, if I go back to the reason why he was kind of phased out in Baltimore was because they, they drafted J.K. Dobbins in yeah. the second round. And as a young man's game at, at tailback, but look, he could be the next Frank Gore and just keep giving good years. Uh, well, you know, well beyond the average age of what's expected a running back to fall off. So yeah, he may, we may well come in and give us a Carlos Hyde tough short yards in between the tackles. You know that that kind of stuff that we really just you know we stalled out in the end zone. He may give you that. He may give you that. And he's an he's a, he's an experienced vet and somebody that can probably you know help develop young guys. But I hope they, I hope to God they draft a guy because they're not drafted somebody since twenty seventeen and Donny Foreman who didn't even last the season. You know, so we need to we need to hopefully get some juice and fresh legs at that oh, yeah. position. I've been yeah, they, that they, for a long time now. They they need it. They need at least one. They need a, a rookie running back. They need. Um, at least one rookie wide receiver, I think. And it wouldn't surprise me if they went after either a veteran tight end to replace Darren Fells or if they went for a rookie. Um, I I would be surprised if Darren Fells makes the roster because his, his cap hits pretty high. Yeah, well, you got to think, obviously, McKinney was was was, the, was a big obvious one off the books and, and, and Casario, to his credit, was some good creativity, I suppose, in, in getting... A player off your books, but then getting a big, big need back at pass rusher. And obviously, he's seen a lot of Shaq Lawson spending four years in Buffalo and then at Miami in 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 the East. So you know, Casario would be well versed and in, in Lawson. So I, it's probably the first time we've picked up a player 
in a while, you thought, yeah, that's a good sort of above average yeah. talent at his position. Absolutely. I think it's a good signing. I mean, don't get me wrong. He's no, you know, prime JJ Watt. But that being said, they don't need him to be at this point in time. They just need something. They need some juice at edge rusher. So I'm looking forward to And the fact they can move him around a little bit as well. I think that's going to be interesting to watch, see how they line him up. But it's a good fit. Um, by all accounts, Miami's going to take some of the cap off. So essentially, he's going to cost them almost the same as McKinney would have. So I think it's a great, I think it's a really solid deal from Casario. And I mean, you can't really look at many of these deals Casario's done and go, that is absolutely awful. The only one I really look at and I hate is them not re-signing John Weeks. That's the one that really stood out for me, um, made no sense whatsoever. But apart from that, yeah, I mean, should they have signed Derek Rivers? I don't know. Will he make the roster? I'm not so sure. Um, a couple of other guys, you know, Vincent Taylor, will he make the roster? Not so sure. Um, Chris Moore, what's his role going to be? Don't know. But you can't, there's none that you can really look at and go, that is uh, appalling, apart from the John Weeks decision. Yeah, and I suppose I, I, it kind of goes the opposite way of what you were saying about Ingram as a young man's game. But I think the long snapper's probably, you know, long snapper and is you know special teams specialist guys you know you can probably you can probably keep rolling them out until they, they can't go anymore exactly um Derek Derek Rivers though that's a good one just to pick up on and infamously married twice by Jack Easterby yep. and he's New England days conducted the ceremony perhaps a bit of a concern there in terms of influence um you know I've been cautious of there's been a real carryover from the previous regime they don't get me wrong there has been a lot of guys that were signed when Easter B was in inverted commas interim GM, whether it was actually um, James Litfer or Matt Baz again actually making these decisions, I mean, you would assume so because I just don't believe Easter B knows guys. He certainly knows Derek Rivers, that's for sure. Um, he may or may not make the roster, but it was, again, it was a name I was familiar with um, being in New England and then he was at the Rams last year. So he may or may not make the team, like you said, but I suppose it is a concern of of the uh, the... the continued influence of Easterby. Absolutely. But the one thing I will say is that obviously, I mean, it's pretty, it seems at least pretty clear on the surface that Easterby had a hand in that decision. But that being said, the one thing that's come out these last couple of weeks, which has been very refreshing from a from a Texan standpoint, is it's very clear who is making the personnel decisions on the most part here. This is, this is Casario's style. These are Casario's dealings. You can tell that in the structures of the contracts. You can tell that in the style of players he's bringing in. This is his team. He is building it. And Cully has also been very clear on that, that this is Casario's team that he is putting together for Cully to work with. That's something, that that level of clarity is something we've not really had for a good few years. You know, when it was Brian Gaines' team, well, was it really Brian Gaines or was it Bill O'Brien's team? And then even when O'Brien was in charge, well, how much is it O'Brien? How much is it, like you said, Bazagun or Lipford or whoever? So it's nice to, at the very least, have a genuine GM in place as ridiculous as that probably sounds it's nice to have someone who is clearly in charge of putting together this roster and has their idea of how it should be done right or wrong it's nice to have some sort of sense of clarity around the whole situation because it has been a murky few years yeah yeah I think it's one of those things isn't it you you're you've been treated so badly for so long expect nothing somebody comes in and you know and does general sort of GM moves at probably 32 or th- sorry or 31 well maybe not but 20 something other teams probably operate of a level of competence of that and I think everybody kind of gets a bit excited um, because we're being treated okay for once <laughs> or for, for the first time um, in, a, in a long time but the, the layers and layers was another thing we were fed by the 
by the um, by, by the previous regime or, or Bill O'Brien's perception of what you know a Casario type that he'd you know seen operate have that sort of ideology. And I think the difference is here is actually we're seeing somebody who knows how to execute it. Um, you know, doesn't okay, okay, is effectively traded down in three rounds in this year's draft, but has added a guy. Okay, he's thirty three, but you might get three years out of him um, or two years out of him. And you know, and there's probably a, a candidate for Can- Marcus Cano to get his contract restructured. But you know, he's a guy that, that you you you've not really essentially given anything up in in, this, exactly. in itself. Um, and you brought something in. You you had a guy who were probably likely going to cut him McKinney, and you swap him for a pass rusher who has got a you know twenty plus sacks in his career so far in the league. So he can and and you know by all accounts from what I've seen and read, he's he's good against the run. So there's a there's definitely a, a, a you know there's definitely a a duplicity to his um, skill set on the on the end of the line. Um, and you know running this four three um, up front, you know you've got to have you know guys who can you can't just. Um, who can't are just going to be pinning their ears back and going against the pass as well. They've got to be able to set the edge, and it's it's going to be uh, you're looking for a different type of of edge rusher than we've had previously. But um, but it's certainly something that we're um that we're that we're look you know we're we're looking into a new era, and it's constant change. And I think it's going to be difficult to to recognize this roster by the time games games turn around. But yes, it's um. We've got obviously some jiggery pokery to do in terms of the cap. We've seen Fulton released. Any other candidates you think might be in any surprises at all before? Well, they'll need to be announced at some point today yep. and tomorrow. Yeah, other guys to look at. Um, as I mentioned before, Darren Fells is a clear candidate because he's got a relatively high cap hit given in sort of in relation to his lack of production last year. Um, so keep an eye out for him. Um, others to watch for possibly restructuring on a couple of contracts, like for example, Marcus Cannon's. Um, and I've seen Brian Anger's name thrown out there a few times. That would also make sense. Kami Fairbairn, possibly. He also has quite a high cap hit. But again, the structure isn't particularly team friendly. So he, though he won't get cut. I can't see that happening, but a restructure, possibly. Um, others to look at in terms of restructuring. Most of it's been, I mean, David Johnson was the obvious one. The only other big ones really are Eric Murray and Whitney Merciless. But both neither of those are team friendly in any way, shape or form. There's no reason for Eric Murray to do it. Whitney Merciless potentially um the big question with him is where on earth will he fit in this roster because i it, it's tough to see how he's going to fit in with this style of defense so that's going to be one to to keep an eye on but it wouldn't be a surprise if they tried to restructure his eric murray's it would be a shock um randall cobb is another one who's in an ideal world they would absolutely want to restructure that contract but again why would he so the the bigger names are going to watch for are going to be the slightly smaller deals really it's going to be the the fells it's going to be um, anger, possibly Fairburn, and so on. Yeah, because with merciless, you can't you can't come. No, or if you do come, you lose you lose money against the exactly. Um, and uh, and so yeah, you're going to open a restructure, a restructure, or a you know, I've been. I think the the best outcome would be retirement, considering how you know uh, the levels at which these these uh, output last year stooped to. Um, and there was numerous numerous sort of embarrassing examples of of where he is athletically. Um, at this stage of his career, so I've never quite seen a drop off as dramatic as that. Um, but it's it was significant, um, regardless whether he, he deserved the contract or not. And um, I think Bradley Roby could be could be one to watch. And I think it, it's not um, logical in terms of losing talent at a position where you have none. Um, and he's quite clearly the only functional player there on the back end, um, or or 
player you could probably count on, and you know, and include Justin Reed in that. Yeah, because um, he's a long, long, he's a long time removed from his his good tape, which was really his best tape was when he was a third safety behind Kareem and and Tyra Matthews. So he's, he's you know injuries have played a part, but I would say Roby's probably the only functional member of your secondary um, at this stage. And but he but he's obviously with the PD suspension last year, he's going to miss the first game of this year. Um, it, that that's a definite, you know, it's a cut possibly because there's there's six million I think to to save there. I was going to say also worth keeping in mind is that because of the PED suspension, he also avoided his guarantees this year. Yeah. So a yeah. a reconstruction of his contract would also favour him if they can include some guarantees in that a lower cap hit, but with guarantees, he might be willing to go for that. Yeah, I think they got the Cooks one out early because that was obviously the biggest one. But yes, uh, it'll be int- yeah, it will be. Uh, It'll be interesting to see how how those guys pan out, and you know Cobb as well as another one. I don't think you can if you've not got many years left, but certainly people are very much frequently using the the void voided years principle, which has kind of made a bit of a comeback in terms of structure. So you know there's there's definitely means and ways around the the, the salary cap. I think teams have just been caught out this year because you've always had a flexible structure, uh, which you could move money, you can convert to signing bonuses, etc., and you can adjust. Or just your actual cap hit, um, but I think teams have just been caught by the fact that when you lose eight percent of your of your uh, of your of your labour cost, and that you physically can't pay it by the rules, it's caught a lot of teams out. So there has been a lot of restructuring. So I think if this year of any, I think players and agents are going to be more amenable to to restructuring deals so they can stay on a roster because with the drop in the cap this year, there's going to be a lot of veterans who probably don't catch on teams unless they're willing to take you know probably below what they. They thought because you've seen you've seen that with the wide receiver market, and I'm so that I saw something today that they said you know there's a lot of receivers out there, um, there's a lot of supply, and they're all wanting double digit million a year, and teams have just either not got the willingness or or the cap space to pay it. No, absolutely, and I think next year as well we're going to have to keep an eye on free agency because obviously you've already got the players who are going to be upcom- upcoming free agents next year, regardless. But then with all these one year deals, not just in Houston but around the league. Next year's free agency is going to be crazy to watch because there's going to be a lot of big names flying around after, you know, assuming the salary cap does jump back up again, there's going to be a lot of players on the move and a lot of players demanding a heck of a lot more than they are this year. Yeah, and talking of wide receivers, we're just, well, we've just gone past the the one year of the hopversary. Um, <laughs> it's, I, I, I often think back to it and I remember that was, you know, the first, I remember it. It, it didn't feel as bad as the cloudy one, but it almost felt it was so bad that something would inevitably change after, and it did. So it was probably the catalyst for the change, but the, our issues were had already piled up and started before then. But I, I, every time you see him talk about it consistently, despite the fact he went somewhere else, despite the fact that he got paid you know, 24, 25 million a year, two-year extension tacked on to the end of his deal, I don't think he's happy there, or he certainly, or he, or he certainly wasn't happy there. You know, and he he spoke out about people questioning his practice and habits and things like that. Was he going to hold out? He was very vocal about it. I know he's not got an agent, so he's probably not getting any advice. He negotiated his contract himself with the hierarchy in Arizona, and obviously we'll see them on the road this year. Yeah, that's that's going to be an interesting game to say the least. Yeah, and I think probably our only prime time option, possibly. Um, <laughs> Yep, with a what factor in there, but I, 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 every time you visit that trade, it'll always be it's the worst in Texas history. But I, I, I don't believe for a second Hopkins 
or I think he, if he if he could go back and and change some of the things he did, um, he might have done because he certainly he certainly got a lot of. Uh, he's not moved on, put it that way, and you can see that. No, always... the the amount of tweets he puts out, you know, re- referring to to Houston one way or another, it, it's it, it's not a particularly good look. Let's be honest, um, it, it's not a good look for him. It, it doesn't. I'm sure it doesn't fill many Texans fans with uh, a great deal of of don't want to say lack of respect for him, but it it, it just screams of that jealous partner who can't get over their former their, their former partner for whatever reason. It, it's this constant looking back and constant referring to the Texans or you know celebrating his. I know he he posted his one year anniversary today, and you can read that one way or the other. But it, it's not a particularly good look for him. But I, I think. The difficult thing for Texans fans at this point in time is it's still so fresh in their memories, but the fact is that the, a lot of the hierarchy and the coaching structure and everything is so different now that we, the Texans have just got to simply move on at this point in time. They've got to acknowledge the mistake they made and they've got to move on. They've got to look forward. So as difficult as it is to remember that this was only one year ago, I think Hopkins and the Texans both just need to look forward at this point in time. And so do the fans, unfortunately, as difficult as that is. Yeah, I mean, it's you can't change it at this stage, but it's it's um it's it'll be talked about probably in the start of the league year for a number of years until probably Hop hangs it up. Um, and he's probably got at least another five six years in the league. You got to think if you you know when you see kind of longevity a lot of receivers got in particular a sort of possession catcher like him, he's he's going to be around for a bit. But yeah, it's uh it's another <laughs> another one of many sort of non or off the field issues we're talking about I certainly just still sort of sitting here processing these Watson allegations and I suppose it puts a new complexion on it we're assuming most of the business is kind of tidied up beyond players cut because obviously I think Casario's open to cutting players um and he'll he'll move he'll happily take guys who are not on the on the compensatory pick or going to ruin the formula certainly but um but where do you see the, the kind of season kind of playing out or the sort of off-season rather playing out in terms of the lead-up to the draft here with the whole uh, Watson situation? I would be surprised at this point in time if Watson isn't traded either the day of the draft or the day before the draft. Um, I, I don't see him on the roster next season. David Cully's, you know press conference recently and, and podcast appearance recently certainly indicates that there's no reason to believe that they're going to stick around with Watson. Um, and I think that's that's completely... You know, not taking into account everything that's gone on the last couple of days, just f- purely from a, a footballing standpoint, from a his lack of desire and wanting to be there and so on, I, I don't see him on the roster. So that's going to be the big one to watch, watch out for. So I think we need to take a, we need to be looking very closely, realistically at, at who they should be targeting in the first round this year. That's that's something that I know I'm going to be paying a lot more attention to over the next few weeks, and I think all Texans fans should keep an eye out for. Yeah, I think it's, it seems like it's got a lot of twists in the tail on these off-field. Uh, third party injections into the story I think is probably just put it on an even more unprecedented and unusual so trying to predict this mess of a situation is very difficult but uh, Anthony, a whirlwind of news there uh, hopefully can get a good segment <laughs> out of it uh, thank you very much for your time it always a pleasure to have you on absolutely, any time and hopefully next time it will be a little bit more uh, a little bit more cheerful, who knows <laughs> yeah, a bit of football centric 